Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you uh, so much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, for almost a year, uh, we've watched this NDP government fumble and bumble along as they come up with one excuse after another to justify why they can't and won't do anything to deal with the explosion of crime and repeat violent offenders. First, they denied the problem and wrongly claimed that the crime statistics were false. Nothing to see here, folks. That was their attitude. Then they called the stories of victims, quote, anecdotal rhetoric, end of quote, and blamed the victims for exaggerating the problem. Then when the former Attorney General, and likely the next Premier, ran out of excuses, he hired consultants to spend four and a half months to come back and tell him how to do his own job that he's held for the last five years. And when the damning report came back, confirming how bad the problem had become, the NDP hid the most important parts of the report and only released a summary of the recommendations. And as an aside, the former Attorney General, and likely the next Premier, has yet to make a single comment about the very report that he commissioned. Then they went on to blame the opposition, they blame root causes, they blame the federal government, they blame lack of funding, they blamed everybody but the former Attorney General, the man noteworthy for writing the manual on how to sue the police and who let this problem spiral out of control. But really, at the end of the day, I can see I've struck a nerve here, folks. But really, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Mr. Speaker, it's about their ideology. It's about their ideology. They don't want to do anything that's going to get in the way of coddling the criminals and putting criminal rights over the rights of the public to feel safe. So at long last, will this government and this Attorney General abandon the catch and release program of the former Attorney General and finally put the public safety ahead of the criminal's right to reoffend. Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and uh, I thank the, uh, the Leader of op the Opposition for his question because he has given me so many places to start to try and just address and debunk the nonsense that he has spewed in that question. From the moment we took government, Honourable Speaker, we made it clear that public safety is a priority. We Members. Members. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Amongst the first acts that we brought in were to uh, go aggressive on the guns and gang strategy and do things that the police had been asking for. That that members, members. To do things that the police had been asking for that that government failed to do. We brought, in, we brought in a Made in British Columbia witness security program so that, so that the police can get better intelligence in terms of fight, fighting gangs. Police have been asking for it. We did it. They didn't, Honourable Speaker. Police 
were fed up with having to send firearms to Ottawa for forensic analysis and where it was always waiting weeks and weeks and, me and months, which delayed investigations, Honourable Speaker. We made the investigation to have our own, in British Columbia, firearms forget uh, forensic analysis lab in Surrey. That's in place. We did that. They failed to do that. The member talks about the, uh, the report. Members, I will that member. members come to order. I will remind that member. The Attorney General at that time took a leadership role in, in going after by establishing the Commission and coming back with recommendations into money laundering in this province under Spain, which operated with impunity while they sat on this The recommendations, the recommendations were acted and implemented, Honourable Speaker. That's just the beginning, Honourable Speaker. There is so much more, Members, but I wait for the supplemental from the uh, Leader of the Opposition. Members, please, when the question is asked, listen to it. When the answer is provided, have the same courtesy, listen to that. Please, we don't have to shout back and forth, okay? Leader of the Official Opposition, supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, all the bluster in the world is not going to take away from their record. The fact of the matter, during the time that we were in government, we never saw the level and frequency of criminal activity that we're seeing today in British Columbia. And you know, the Solicitor General might. Members, please. The Solicitor General might try and stand up and bluster and pretend that none of this is real, which is the line they've been taking for the last nine months. But the fact is, victims feel a lot differently. And when the Attorney General dismisses the concerns that the victims raise, as he has in the past, as, quote, anecdotal rhetoric, end of quote, that summarizes the attitude of the members opposite. But let's talk about some of these victims. Like, for example, the woman in downtown Vancouver subjected to a violent hammer attack. Like the senior who was sucker punched in Chinatown, fell to the ground and broke his hip and currently is in the hospital recovering from that attack. Or the young woman bashed on the head with a pole and subjected to violent racial slurs. Or the Mexican tourist who was stabbed in a Tim Hortons. Or the young man in Yaletown, Yaletown excuse me, who was stabbed by a random stranger and died. These are real people, and these events are happening at a frequency and an alarming rate because of the decisions of the former Attorney General. I just can't imagine how those victims must feel when they're listening to this kind of rhetoric about realizing that they have a government more concerned about the rights of victims to get back into the community to reoffend, as opposed to the rights of those victims to have a government looking after their interests. Imagine how they must feel when they listen to that rhetoric. Oh, you'll get that. Don't you worry. Members, members, members. So, Mr. Speaker, I want actually the Solicitor General or the Attorney General or both to just think for a moment. If it wasn't me and none of these people were here and all the victims were sitting here, and could you look, in, look those victims in the eye and say that your government has done and did everything possible so that they would not be violent 
violently attacked by random strangers in British Columbia. Members, all the questions through the chair. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the question uh, from the member. And uh, I'm glad he raised victims because we are extremely concerned about victims. We think whenever anybody is attacked that that is unacceptable. And we know the police are doing everything they can to deal with it. But I'd also like to point out, given that the uh, Leader of the Opposition has shown such concern for victims, that when he sat on this side of the House as Finance Minister, he froze and cut the programs for victim services on the street. In fact, Honourable Speaker, in fact, Honourable Speaker, since this, since we formed government, since we formed government on this side of the House, we have increased services to victims programs by more than members, 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 please, by more than 62 percent, Honourable Speaker. This is a government that recognises that victims need help and support when you guys never did when you sat on this side of the House. Speaker, we have members. Member, you're wasting your precious time. Question period is only 30 minutes. Minister will continue. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. And I'd remind the Leader of the Opposition that the rules and the laws are made by the courts and the criminal code. Of members. Members, enough. Please thank continue. You, uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. I find it really interesting that uh, the Leader of the Opposition doesn't talk to some of his legal colleagues uh, next to him because they would tell him that, one, judges are independent, two, the criminal code of this country is the responsibility of the federal government. And we have been working with other provinces who said that the, 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 the violent attacks, random violence attacks, are a problem right across this country. We are working with local government, we're doing what we do as a province, but we also know that the federal government has a role to play and that when there are unintended consequences from legislation that has been passed, there need to be changes. We have been pushing on that and will continue to push that until we get the changes that we want. At the same time, we will continue to work with local governments to put in place the programs that need, such as the program that they, that, that they themselves cancelled the, uh, violent offend the offenders management program, which police have been called members, wasting time. Honourable Speaker, Honourable Speaker, Honourable Speaker, wasting time. The member says the recommendation that the police wants to restore that program is wasting time. That shows he's more concerned about headlines than actually than actually fixing the problem. Member for Prince George, Whale Mount. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And that answer characterizes the exact problem that this government has. Exactly. Simply stand up in the House, raise your voice, and dismiss the concerns of British Columbians, who day after day after day, under this government's watch, is facing attacks, assaults, you name it. And this minister dismisses it. And it's not just the Solicitor General. It's the Attorney General. It was unbelievable to British Columbians when the Attorney General stood up in this chamber two weeks ago 
And here's what he said, and I quote, I do not think that the people of British Columbia believe that arresting and enforcing the law is the way to go, end quote. That describes the problem perfectly. And that is why British Columbians expect better of this Attorney General. Frankly, it is his job to enforce the law. Yesterday, while the Attorney General was busy patting himself on the back for making a plan to make a plan to have a meeting in Ottawa, a man was randomly attacked just minutes from his constituency office. Police say the victim was waiting for a bus. He was approached and punched in the face by a total stranger. Perhaps the Solicitor General would like to speak to that victim. When will this Attorney General do his job, enforce the law, and end the catch and release program that was put in place by the former Attorney General? Attorney General. Thank you very much, Mr. I obviously have enormous sympathy for the victim of which the Honourable Member spoke. It's totally unacceptable, the situation she's described and so many others. And we, uh, I agree with the Honourable Member for Surrey South who says we cannot simply arrest our way out of this problem. We have a great number of things we must do, and that includes enforcement by talented and dedicated Crown Council around this province, led by an uh, able Crown Council himself with many years in the job who was appointed to this role under the leadership of the former government. We take our responsibilities to victims, to, to community, to safety very, very seriously on this side of the House. We're not passing the buck, Mr. Speaker. We're working with local communities. The Urban Mayor's Caucus have been tremendous allies. We commissioned an independent report to see if there were more, members, to see if there members, were more members, things that could be done. There's no need for comments, members. We worked Continue. with local governments to, to see if there were more things that could be done on the ground in their communities to make people safe. And we do not apologize, Mr. Speaker, for going to the place where the criminal code gets amended and to work with all the attorneys general and all the public safety ministers across this land to say that change is needed. Mr. Speaker, we will continue to do that. And we will also continue to invest heavily in the social programs that are needed to address the root causes of crime because, Mr. Speaker, we believe it's important to be tough on crime and also tough on the causes of crime. Member for Prince George Railmount, supplemental. Well, I would agree with the Attorney General on one thing. Change is needed, and where it's needed is to end the catch and release program that his former Attorney General put in place. House, we bring serious, challenging issues to this Attorney General. And what does he talk about? Passing the buck. That is exactly what he does every single day. In fact, let's talk about creating a plan to create another plan to plan. What British Columbians want and have shown in large numbers over the last few days, they want action. They are done. They want a province where they can feel safe in their communities. And that includes in Kelowna where recently a young man was randomly assaulted while walking with his friends. And then what happened? His friends were smashed in the face with a flashlight and pepper sprayed. These attacks are happening 
every single day under this government's watch. And in fact, we hear every day that people have never seen it worse. That's the record of this Attorney General. So when will he do the right thing? When will he stand up, do his job, and end the catch and release program put in place by the soon-to-be Premier? Here, here. Attorney General. The kind of crimes that the honourable member is referring to are utterly unacceptable. They're horrific. And Mr. Speaker, random attacks, we learned, are a fact of life, sadly, across this entire country. And we are trying to make sure, we are trying to Members. make sure that we address that head on. Members. Mr. Speaker, the, the pandemic has exacerbated mental health problems and drug addiction problems. Majority of the people who are in, uh, engaged in these horrific crimes are people who have been affected by that. Mr. Speaker, we have to ensure that we address that and enforce the law effectively. We have to ensure that we enforce the law effectively as well as take the steps to ensure that those people are not on the street. They don't have the opportunity to, uh, address, to do the crimes in the first place. To suggest that we are passing the buck by talking to other governments to make sure that the bail reform legislation is, is altered. At, Mr. Speaker, at the, at, the, at the meeting of the federal, provincial and territorial attorneys general and public safety ministers, it was suggested that, and I quote, Ministers unanimously agreed to a subsequent urgent meeting to consider concrete proposals, concrete proposals to address these issues. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, we would wish members. I, I, I think the honourable member seems to be suggesting that bail reform is something that the province can do. We cannot. And we are doing our best to ensure that those who can make those changes make those changes because we understand on this side of the House that keeping people safe is our job. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson, please. Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Two weeks ago, my colleague asked about BBC and CBC reports that have shown that Drax, a UK energy giant, is turning whole trees from primary forests in BC into pellets to burn. The minister said, no, they are not. She said that Drax is not using whole trees or primary forests for wood pellets. Those comments are on the record. We have a copy of the Minister's Estimates Binder from earlier this year on page 66, there's a note that says, confidential for Minister's use only, an estimated 75% of fibre for pellet processing facilities comes from sawmill residuals. In other words, at least a quarter of the fibre used in wood pellets is not sawmill waste. The BBC and CBC both have video evidence showing whole trees being cut, transported, and processed at the DRAC site. My question is for you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Forest. Does the Minister want to try again to answer the question, are whole trees from primary forests being turned into wood pellets in BC? Minister of Forests. Thank you, Minister. Uh, 
Minister, Mr. Speaker, and, and I will try to ensure that I, I say it so that the member understands. So yes, I will try again. So the ministry actively, members, actively members. monitors the input used by pellet sectors in BC, and they may, are made almost entirely from waste. 90% comes from sawdust, shavings, chips, and harvest residuals. You know, it, it's, BC is a really important source of bioeconomy for many countries, and that source is transitioning away from coal-fired power. Now, it's better to turn waste into bioenergy that displaces fossil fuels instead of burning it in open slash piles or leaving it on the ground, which creates even more GHG. The reality is that no one is turning whole forests into pellets. The reality is that those logs were taken to sawmills, in fact, two sawmills that turned them into saw logs. No one in their right mind would take a saw log, a perfectly good piece of timber, and turn it into pellets. Saw logs are going for $150 a cubic meters. Pellets are going for $25. Logs that are used for pellets are going for $25. Those are logs that have been burnt. They can't be used in a sawmill. Those are logs that have been, have been affected by the pine beetle that can't be used in sawmills. Those are logs that are, um, have been rotten and are creating GHG in the, in the economy, or in the environment, sorry. You know, so pellet mills only use low-quality logs that can't be used in sawmills. Thank you. Leader of the Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And Members, please continue. It's, it's, I think it would just be so much easier for the public and the rest of us if we could get direct and clear responses. The minister very carefully used the words almost entirely. She very carefully did not say there are no whole trees from primary forests being turned into wood pellets. The minister's allegiance to drafts is fascinating. In 2021, this company took control of 66% of the wood pellet production in this province, monopolizing the industry. In 2022, the former chief forester resigned her position and assumed a vice presidency role in this giant corporation, a giant corporation that lobbies this government regularly. In fact, several experts have called for the Competition Bureau of Canada to review Drax's activities in BC. Honourable Speaker, through you, I'll ask the question in a way that the Minister can understand. <laughs> trust, trust is the currency of democracy. The public has seen reliable reports from international renowned media agencies with video footage to back up their claims. Is the minister calling the reports of the BBC and the CBC false? Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I will make sure that I put accurate information on the record, which is, which is something that I have always done. 
So again, not all harvested logs are suitable to be turned into pellets. Some of them are too small, they've been damaged, it's either beetle killed, fire, I've already talked about that. So some logs are processed, but that is very, very few. In fact, these logs represent less than 0.5%, percent of the total provincial harvest, 0.5%. You know, our, we know that logs are, are 150 bucks a cubic meter. No one is going to process a log that should be turned into a saw log into pellets. That is not happening in this province. And I mean, I have mentioned in the media that I felt that some of the uh, information said into the, in the, both of uh, the um, f films were inaccurate. Um, when we were asked to provide information, we did. It was not published. So again, less than 0.5% of the total provincial harvest goes into, uh, that is, whole logs go into a pellet mill, and those are logs that cannot be utilized anywhere else in the saw log industry. You're welcome. Member for Prince George Mackenzie. Thanks, Speaker. Yesterday, the Attorney General stood up and said that we need action now. But then he proceeded to claim it all depends on Ottawa. Six months ago, I called for a dedicated Crown Council for prolific offenders. And the NDP still hasn't acted on that. This is a re provincial responsibility, full stop. It was even one of the 28 recommendations from the NDP's own damning report and something that he can do today. So why hasn't the NDP taken immediate action and assigned a dedicated Crown Council to focus on violent, prolific offenders? Attorney General. Mr. Speaker, there are a number of measures that we're taking that we think will make a difference. We are looking at all 25 of those recommendations, including the one that the member referred to. There were 28 that were, that were in the report, three of which have already been implemented, including the one to, to deal with the prolific offender management program, which was so successful, but which was cut by the last government. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker the kind of things we are spending we are investing in, in social programs, are going to make a difference. For example, peer-assisted care teams, which was the number one recommendation of the report, of the, report the member referred to, involves civil-led responses to, uh, to, pe to people who are in drug crisis or have mental health issues, and they are rolling out, teams are, ro are being rolled out in Victoria and in, uh, and in New Westminster and soon on the North Shore. Did the government, when, when did the party opposite, when they were in government, do anything of the sort? No, Mr. Speaker. We are investing up to $164 million in the last budget for complex care housing. Complex care housing, which will eventually have 500 people housed who have the needs for that, comp that kind of wraparound service. Did the, gov did the former government do any uh, social investments of that kind, Mr. Speaker? No. Mr. Speaker, community transition teams are identified in the report Members. as critically important. That deals with people, Mr. Speaker, who are released from correctional facilities, often to go back 
to the street where they were before without the supports, without anybody helping them navigate through the system. Mr. Speaker, we have expanded our program that we introduced to ensure that it's 90 days support for these people and that all 10 correctional facilities in this province will, will, will be, will be uh, subject to this, this new program. Mr. Speaker, the former government did nothing of the sort. We think this is critically important to address the, the situation on bail reform. We are working with our federal partners who have 100% responsibility for that. But, Mr. Speaker, we worked. The report to which the member referred was a function of work with the local mayors across this province. And, Mr. Speaker, in his very community of Prince George, the mayor said about our, that very report, I think the recommendations encompassed everything that we were looking for and hoping for that would come out of that report. We are working at the local government level. We are taking our responsibilities. Members to enforce the law, and we are working with the federal government to change the law, Mr. Speaker. Member for Abbotsford West. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The attorney gave a uh, relatively long answer and, and managed to successfully avoid answering the question in any way, shape, or form. My colleague, uh, the member from Prince George, offered up yet again a specific course of action that this attorney and this government could take. And the attorney refuses to provide a clear answer or a straight answer uh, about why that step hasn't been taken. In fact, it's a recurring theme. The attorney, previous attorney, and the government continuously pleading a lack of ability to deal directly with chronic repeat offenders. But what we see and what British Columbians see is not a lack of ability, but a lack of will, Mr. Speaker. That's what they are seeing. You know, a few years ago, more than a few years ago, in, uh, back in the 93, uh, the then Attorney General saw a problem with domestic violence cases. And they were understandably and justifiably concerned. And then Attorney General Gableman took specific steps. He issued specific directions to prosecutors across British Columbia about how to conduct those prosecutions to address that dramatic rise in domestic violence, Mr. Speaker. Other Attorney Generals have issued similar directives in circumstances where it was appropriate to do so. Six months ago, six months ago in the course of the estimates debate, Mr. Speaker, I had this conversation with the attorney's predecessor and I presented him with a draft directive. It's only one page. The significant paragraph reading as follows. In circumstances, it would be a directive to prosecutors. In circumstances when an adult prolific offender is brought before the courts on additional charges, a presumption shall exist on the part of the Crown Council that the public interest, including the safety of the public, is best served by seeking the detention of the accused adult prolific offender pending the disposition of the matter. That is a direction that this Attorney General could give. His predecessor did nothing, Mr. Speaker. I'll table it again after question period, but what I'd like to know and what British Columbians would like to know from this Attorney General is will he today issue that directive, and if not, why not?
Let him start, ma'am. Attorney General. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And as I said to the Honourable Member for Prince George Mackenzie, uh, we are looking at the specific proposal that was made by the Lepard Butler uh, uh, task force, if you will, in their recommendations, and that would be for a dedicated Crown Council. That is, that, that is, an, area, that is an area that's under active consideration. The, the uh, member for Abbotsford West has, has, I think, made a constructive suggestion concerning the directive. We have, Members. of course, reviewed it, and we are we've looked at this issue in the past and are continuing to do it. Mr. Speaker, the member will know the member will know the constraints that the courts have imposed when it comes to dealing with uh, amendments to the, a directive changing the criminal law of Canada or changing the case authority such as the Zora case. In other words, would the presumption that the member talked about, be, would, would that line up with our criminal law and with the court's members, charter jurisprudence? Members, Mr. Speaker, members. Mr. Speaker, it was a serious question and I'm trying to provide a serious answer. Yes, it's under consideration. Every tool is in the toolkit is under, invest, is under serious investigation. But, Mr. Speaker, we cannot, with a directive, change the criminal law of Canada or the charter of uh, rights of Canadians. And that, Mr. Speaker, is what we're examining actively. The bell ends the question period.